Part 2, Chapter 14 of The Patrician by John Goldsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 2, Chapter 14. On a spur of the Sussex Downs, inland from Nettlecold, there stands a beech grove. The traveller who enters it out of the heat and brightness takes off the shoes of his spirit before its sanctity, and reaching the centre across the clean beech mat, he sits refreshing his brow with air and silence. For the flowers of sunlight on the ground under those branches are pale and rare. No insects hum, the birds are almost mute. And close to the border trees are the quiet, milk-white sheep in congregation, escaping from noon heat. Here, above fields and dwellings, above the ceaseless network of men's doings and the vapour of their talk, the traveller feels solemnity. All seems conveying divinity, the great white clouds moving their wings above him, the faint longing murmur of the boughs, and in far distance the sea. And for a space his restlessness and fear know the peace of God. So it was with Milton when he reached this temple, three days after that passionate night, having walked for hours alone and full of conflict. During those three days he had been borne forward on the flood-tide, and now, tearing himself out of London, where to think was impossible, he had come to the solitude of the Downs to walk and face his new position. For well, that position he saw to be very serious. In the flush of full realisation there was for him no question of renunciation. She was his, he hers. That was determined. But what then was he to do? There was no chance of her getting free. In her husband's view, it seemed, under no circumstances was marriage dissoluble. Nor indeed to Milton would divorce have made things easier, believing as he did that he and she were guilty, and that for the guilty there could be no marriage. She, it was true, asked nothing but just to be his in secret, and that was the course he knew most men would take, without further thought. There was no material reason in the world why he should not so act, and maintain unchained every other current of his life. It would be easy, usual. And with her faculty for self-abasement, he knew she would not be unhappy. But conscience, in Milton, was a terrible and fierce thing. In the delirium of his illness, it had become that great face which had marched over him. And though, during the weeks of his recuperation, struggle of all kind had ceased, now that he had yielded to his passion, Conscience, in a new and dismal shape, had crept up again to sit above his heart. He must and would let this man, her husband, know. But even if that caused no open scandal, could he go on deceiving those who, if they knew of an illicit love, would no longer allow him to be their representative? If it were known that she was his mistress, he could no longer maintain his position in public life. Was he not therefore in honour bound, of his own accord, to resign it? Night and day he was haunted by the thought. How can I, living in defiance of authority, pretend to authority over my fellows? How can I remain in public life? If he did not remain in public life, what was he to do? That way of life was in his blood. He had been bred and born into it, had thought of nothing else since he was a boy. There was no other occupation or interest that could hold him for a moment. He saw very plainly that he would be cast away on the waters of existence. 
So the battle raged in his proud and twisted spirit, which took everything so hard, his nature imperatively commanding him to keep his work and his power for usefulness, his conscience telling him as urgently that if he sought to wield authority, he must obey it. He entered the beech grove at the height of this misery, flaming with rebellion against the dilemma which fate had placed upon him, visited by gusts of resentment against a passion which forced him to pay the price either of his career or of his self-respect. Gusts, followed by remorse, that he could so for one moment regret his love for that tender creature. The face of Lucifer was not more dark, more tortured than Milton's face in the twilight of the grove, above those kingdoms of the world, for which his ambition and his conscience fought. He threw himself down among the trees, and stretching out his arms, by chance, touched a beetle trying to crawl over the grassless soil. Some bird had named it. He took the little creature up. The beetle truly could no longer work, but it was spared the fate lying before himself. The beetle was not, as he would be, when his power of movement was destroyed, conscious of his own wasted life. The world would not roll away down there. He would still see himself cumbering the ground when his powers were taken from him. This thought was torture. Why had he been suffered to meet her, to love her, and to be loved by her? What had made him so certain from the first moment if she were not meant for him? If he lived to be a hundred, he would never meet another. Why, because of his love, must he bury the will and force of a man? If there were no more coherence in God's scheme than this, let him too be incoherent. Let him hold authority and live outside authority. Why stifle his powers for the sake of a coherence which did not exist? That would indeed be madness greater than that of a mad world. There was no answer to his thoughts in the stillness of the grove, unless it were the cooing of a dove or the faint thudding of the sheep issuing again into sunlight. Slowly, that stillness stole into Milton's spirit. Is it like this in the grave, he thought? Are the boughs of those trees the dark earth over me, and the sound in them the sound the dead hear when flowers are growing and the wind passing through them, and is the feel of this earth how it feels to lie looking up forever at nothing? Is life anything but a nightmare, a dream, and is not this the reality? And why my fury, my insignificant flame, blowing here and there, when there is really no wind, only a shroud of still air, and these flowers of sunlight that have been dropped on me? Why not let my spirit sleep, instead of eating itself away with rage? Why not resign myself at once to wait for the substance of which this is but the shadow? And he lay, scarcely breathing, looking up at the unmoving branches, setting with their darkness the pearls of the sky. Is not peace enough, he thought? Is not love enough? Can I not be reconciled like a woman? Is not that salvation and happiness? What is all the rest but sound and fury signifying nothing? And as though afraid to lose his hold of that thought, he got up and hurried from the grove. The whole wide landscape of field and wood, cut by the pale roads, was glimmering under the afternoon sun. Here was no wild, windswept land, gleaming red and purple and guarded by the grey rocks, no home of the winds and the wild gods. It was all serene and silver-golden. 
in place of the shrill wailing pipe of the hunting buzzard hawks half lost up in the wind invisible larks were letting fall hymns to tranquillity and even the sea no venturing spirit sweeping the shore with its wing seemed to lie resting by the side of the land end of part two chapter fourteen